me mo my mo. I smell bacon. I think it's the matches because I lit another one when oh. I was in the bathroom because it was still pretty. Welcome to Prefer Not To, a sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate. As always, I am not Kate. I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I drink a cocktail, talk a little bit about the cocktail and its history, whether or not we liked it, how it's made. <laughs> then we move on to talking about movies and television, give you some recommendations, and send you on your way, all in less than an hour. How's it going, Kate? I'm good. How are you, Josh? I'm pretty good. What are we drinking today? We're drinking Planner's Punch. Planner's like the peanut? Yeah, I guess so. It doesn't have anything to do with the peanuts, but yeah, same spelling, right? Anyhow, tell us about the Planner's Punch. (laughs) All right. The Planner's Punch is a tropical beverage, I suppose. Planner's Punch is two parts dark rum, usually and preferably Jamaican, two parts orange juice, two parts pineapple juice, a half part of fresh lime juice with a dash of grenadine afterwards. You mix all of the first four ingredients into a cocktail shaker, and then you strain those into an ice-filled Collins glass and top off with the grenadine. You can also garnish with maraschino cherries, slices of orange, whatnot. As like most cocktails, there are a million different ways to make even just this one. Some people prefer to uh, add uh, like a soda to it to give it a little bit of a bubble kick. Some people take out the orange juice and sub it with, you know, pomegranate or, you know, whatever. Rumor has it that the first Planters Punch came from the Planters Hotel in Charleston, South Carolina, but that's not exactly true. It originated somewhere in Jamaica in the 19th century, where rum was plentiful. As the name suggests, it was popular with farmers and plantation owners. Hmm. Great for a refreshing pick-me-up or a cocktail at the end of the day. And because it's a punch, you can serve it at parties. Meaning it has very easy proportions and it goes in bulk really well. We've talked about this a little bit before about how punches sort of preceded cocktails as a party beverage. Yeah, you have punches are like kind of the first cocktail beverage that you have at a party as opposed to like, you know, as opposed to escaping to like a smoking room and having brandy or claret afterwards or something. This is right. like, you know, something that you can just have a punch a punch bowl of <laughs> in the corner and have people just bring it to you. But I suppose it's also meant for a party where you knew there was some scale involved because you'd have to make a whole big bowl of it. Yeah, well, punch itself is there's a whole subfamily of punches, just like there's a subfamily of sours and slows and fizzes and rickies and stuff like that. But I figured that since we're going, you know, we're in our we're doing more and more shows that we would go into explore different families of cocktails. So this is my foray into the punch world. Um, it first appeared in print in the New York publication Fun. <laughs> what a great, what a great name for a. Is it I fun guess. with an exclamation point? No, it's just fun. Just straight fun, not fun with a period. It's not fun or fun. It's fun. Okay, that works. From September of 1878, and it appeared with this little ditty. A wine glass with lemon juice fill, of sugar the same glass fill twice, then rub them together until the mixture looks smooth, soft, and nice. Of rum then three wine glasses add, and four of cold water please take. A drink then you'll have that's not bad, at least so they say in Jamaica. Jamaica. Uh. Jamaica. (laughs) That is the worst rap I've ever heard. Um, so another recipe appears in an article from the New York Times in 1908. This is the recipe that we're using. It is, uh, this recipe I give to thee, dear brother in the heat. 
Take two of sour, lime let it be, to one and a half of sweet. Of old Jamaica, pour these strong, three strong, sorry. Of old Jamaica, pour three strong and add four parts of weak. Then mix and drink, I do no wrong, I know whereof I speak. And that recipe by uh, William Butler Yeats. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like it's from one of the witches in Shakespeare. I don't, I don't. What I guess they're not of, Irish. What production but you know what I'm talking about, like, boiling, boiling, toiling, trouble. I know the one, the Macbeth witches. Okay, fine. It also makes two appearances in the Savoy cocktail book that Josh got me for Christmas in the Greater Punch family. There's two different variances on the Planner's Punch, but there's no rhyme to the recipe, just a warning that when making punches in general, the various subtle ingredients be thoroughly mixed in such a way that neither that neither the bitter, the sweet, the spirit, nor any liquor be perceptible the one over the other. So it sounds like a good juice cocktail. Right. Like you're making a wine cooler or something. Yeah. Yeah. It seems that it seems kind of creepy. Like, hey girls, have some punch. I just like that it's in a ditty. The recipe's in like like and why would it be in a rhyme form? I you know, man, people didn't have like T V or Xbox. Take one of dry vermouth and right. two of sweet. You know, it sounds like it should be on the back of a fucking pirate treasure map is what it sounds like. That's what I was trying to say. It sounds very cryptic and... Yeah. Of three parts, this drinketh be. It reminded me of a witch's... Like I already said, like Shakespeare, but it sounded like, you know, <laughs> first I'll need... Um, I have newt and... Yeah, well, no, I'm sorry. I was thinking it seems like if you wish to have the curse reversed, I'll need a certain potion first. Right. One, you know, and uh, that's what it reminded me of. So you want to do our movies? Well, we haven't we haven't tried the drink. Oh, right. So let's try the drink, shall we? Oh, that's refreshing. It's a little bit uh, bitter. Yeah, it doesn't have enough lime juice in it because it's really hard to squeeze limes. So... So now, do you want to do our movies? Sure. Each week, Kate and I watch a couple movies. Right now, we're picking a year in each of our lives and watch the movie that was number one in America in the week of the year that we pick, corresponding to the week that we're doing the show. This week, our years were 1985 and 2000, and our movies were Peter Weir's Witness, that was me in 1985, and Brian De Palma's Mission to Mars. So I go first, I guess? Yep. All right. Witness is the story of an Amish mother, played by Kelly McGillis, and her child, played by Lucas Haas, who, while on family business, take a train through Philadelphia. The child witnesses a murder in the bathroom of a train station, and through a series of misadventures, Harrison Ford, the detective investigating the case, discovers that he can't trust anyone, and the only thing that they can do to stay safe is hide out in Amish country. Harrison Ford recovers from a gunshot in Amish country, learns a little bit of their ways, becomes romantically attracted to Kelly McGillis, and then in a big climax scene, uh, has a showdown with the bad guys. Uh, it was This movie's always pretty. Peter Weir loves to do like shots of grass and landscape photos. It's, it's really pretty to look at. Um, I think the characterizations could have been overbroad because it's, you know, Amish's. And it comes really close, but I don't think it steps over the line uh i don't know what do you think i liked the movie in general um i think that the her her father was a little too broad in terms of portraying of the of the amish mm -hmm. just the way he spoke it's 4 a.m it's time to milk cows yeah english you know like that struck me as a little bit over the top i thought it was really good though uh harrison ford is always very charming and sweet 
I think that the nudity in the movie kind of came out of nowhere and it kind of took me out of the movie. I didn't think it needed to be there, but. Yeah, I always get uncomfortable with nudity in movies. This is a thing you and I have talked about. It's, like, it makes me uncomfortable when I see, it takes me out of a scene when I see, you know, I, I recognize it's meant to be more immersive and maybe just because I'm crazy or a prude, but like when I see people taking off their clothes in a movie, instantly I'm thinking, you know, that's that actor and they're on the set being watched by a bunch of people being creepazoids. I don't, okay, I guess I can see that. I don't really find nudity to be that distracting unless it's male nudity, which tells you a lot about society today. But I just found this particular instance didn't really fit her and didn't really fit the rest of the tone of the movie. Well, I think it was meant to be, you know, she was exposing herself and being vulnerable as a solicitation. You know, like, hey, English. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the boobs just kind of I'm going to keep you down on the farm. Ew. I'm going to make some cheese. Ew. You don't like cheese? Oh, you don't like cheese, do you? Ew. Well, it just the, it makes me think of butter churning. You know, I've been getting up in the middle of the night and having a glass of milk and not remembering it until the morning. And I'm sick. In, I was sick this morning. Why did... Because, like, in my sleep-addled brain, I can't remember not to have milk because of the <laughs> lactose shit. Yeah. It's really, really, really frustrating. I was so sick the other day. Maybe you should put a lock on the refrigerator before you go to bed. How long have you been lactose intolerant? High school. Yeah? Yeah. How'd you, how'd you discover it? Um, I started having horrible stomach pains, and eventually I connected that mm. every time I consumed some kind of dairy form of food. Yeah, we talked about what, this in the show. That's what, how it would happen, and yeah. I stopped it, and then I got better. So We talked about this in the first show, didn't we? Did we? We're repeating ourselves. We're out of things to talk about, aren't we? No, we're not out of things to talk about. Um, this movie in particular uh, is notable for Viggo Mortensen's first screen role. Or appearance, and it wasn't really much of a role. I don't think it's necessarily notable for that. He's just like in the background, and you just, point at him. Well, it's just like every time you see a f- new, like a now famous actor in something small, like a small, like Bruce Willis in the courtroom scene, or like Michael Imperioli in Lean on Me. It takes you out of the movie, and you're like, "Hey, that's Viggo Mortensen. Good for him. It worked out." Wait, where was Bruce Willis in a courtroom scene? In um. Oh, in the verdict. The verdict, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like in the audience in the gallery. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like that about nudity. Like, like all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about the movie. I'm just like, yeah, boobs. I can see that. I guess that's um, like that's you know that's my family motto. By the way, the family crest says boobs. <laughs> I only feel really uncomfortable about nudity. I feel more okay. I feel more comfortable with nudity when I'm by myself. If someone else is watching the movie with me, I'm always worried if like the movie's gonna take a really horrible graphic turn or like mm-hmm. god forbid you're with your parents and if i'm by myself i just think like someone the landlord's gonna walk in or someone is outside of the window looking in and thinks that i'm watching dirty movies and by the way i don't have this problem like porn whatever you know porn's supposed to be that way so i don't feel bad for the porn actors because you know they're doing their thing but like yeah it's just uh, i feel weird looking at actors butts and boobs and businesses i have problems yeah, well, I just thought that the nudity kind of didn't fit the tone of the rest of the movie. Did you character. like the movie? I did like the movie. I said Harrison Ford was very charming. Um, Danny Glover was doing his thing. Um, you know, as a kid, I had a recurring nightmare that was like the scene where the where Lucas Haas witnesses the murder in the lavatory. Oh. I, I would have a recurring nightmare where there, I was in a lavatory and I had seen something that I wasn't supposed to see and there were people hunting me down and there was no way I could get out. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean I lost my keys? Yeah, that's exactly what that means. It means that you're feeling very nervous about giving a presentation in front of the class. Is that a portent? Yeah. An is, omen. is someone going to 
Is there a comet coming that's going to kill the president or something? I'd, I think you would have to see. The comet is the omen in that situation. Mm-hmm. You would see a comet and then it would be so an wait, omen So in the dream, I, I am the comet. No, I'm saying your dream is itself an omen. I, I, who knows what happens if you dream of a comet? I think that just you know throws everything So it's not like a representational dream? Dreams themselves aren't representational. They're metaphorical. So that's Witness. Kate, tell us about your movie. Uh, my movie is Mission to Mars from 2000. It stars Gary Sinise, Tim Robbins, and Don Cheadle. In the not-too-distant future, the United States has started preliminary scientific visits to Mars. One, led by Don Cheadle and his team, goes missing after some mysterious power outages and machine interference occurs on the planet's surface. Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins then lead a rescue mission to save Don Cheadle. And what they find there isn't all that it seems. So this movie came out in 2000. It's kind of dull. It's pretty to look at, even though the effects haven't necessarily aged too well. Um, Brian De Palma is the director, so you can see he's got kind of his his touch all over it. But the plot was really clunky, and the characters were not that well drawn out. And halfway through it, there's a plot shift, and it just becomes a completely different movie. But it it works in some movies when that happens. This one, not so much. The characters weren't all that real. They were more like just types that you would find in any movie. Like, you know, the the, the down-on-his-luck guy who recently lost his wife. The couple that were in love and, you know, they're going out into space together. And then, you know... Wait, that's, that's a The dad trope, that has to cu- leave his son behind and stuff like that. So That's a movie trope? The couple that goes to space together? I mean, a couple that's in love and they are on the job together. They're put in danger together and then something... That old hackneyed story of the married astronauts. All right. Uh, I, I I thought, you know, it's Brian De Palma, so he really likes doing set pieces. And I thought some of the set pieces were really neat, like when we saw the, the ship and how it had gravity in it and everyone was walking around in a circle. Uh, and I thought Mars looked like Mars should look. I don't think even with 15 years later fact you could do a movie that made at least look more like I imagine Mars looks in my brain but you're right the script was just so clunky and so bad and the dialogue was just so clunky and like people don't talk uh, I, you know I hate here was the deal this was what pissed me off about the dialogue and you tell me if this is something that bugs you but I hate when movies like when movies are about a bunch of people who are experts at something like in this case astrophysics or science or being an astronaut and they talk to each other about what they do, but they talk to each other like they're talking to us. <laughs> you know, like they t- they explain a bunch of stuff that they wouldn't have to explain to one another. Like, you know, like, there's actual li- – like I wrote some of these lines down like, we think this could be water. And if that's true, we may have found the key to permanent colonization of Mars. Like, first of all, nobody talks like that. And second of all, they wouldn't have had to explain any of that to the people on the – the station. So I, I just the first multi-celled animals and plants appeared, and no one has ever understood why or how. Just dialogue that no one would ever say to anyone, <laughs> let alone to someone who already knew what you were talking about. Right. Um, you know, it's like explain it with context clues, I guess, or just let the audience not necessarily understand exactly what's going on, but that you're watching a bunch of professionals do their job. I mean, obviously, if Tim Robbins goes outside the ship, he needs to go outside the ship. You don't need to explain in detail 
the physics of why he needs to go outside the ship, especially when everybody, all the characters would already know that. I'm putting on my suit so that I don't die when I go into right. space. As we all know, space radiation is dangerous. It's and like, it's cold. <laughs> right. It's um, it's goofy. And I thought, you know, and I had problems with Prometheus, but nothing like the problems with this movie. Prometheus sort of had the same tack of you know, a panspermia explanation to life in the universe. Uh, but I thought Pr- Prometheus was at least more thoughtful and interesting in its weirdness than this. I just, I think this movie was not necessarily interested in its story, but it was interested in the two or three really interesting set pieces in space and stuff. But as a story, it wasn't there. Well, right. There's no consistent story for it to follow because it starts off, um, they're exploring Mars and then someone you know, goes missing, so they have to explore Mars, and then they land on Mars after much avail and Tim Robbins dying. And then it turns out there's aliens, and then there's, like, this whole subplot with the aliens, and then all of a sudden Gary Sinise decides to go off with their representative to their home planet. Like, it just, it completely changes halfway through, and not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. Kind of like how in Beneath the Planet of the Apes... It starts sure. off being a rescue mission, and then all of a sudden it becomes about mutants underground who are going to. That movie's awesome, where they a worship nuclear a bomb. nuclear bomb. It is awesome, but I'm just saying that's a, the also, first. Ex- how many movie series uh, blow up the earth at the end of the second of five movies? That's why it's awesome. Not very many. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. <laughs> By the way, I just spoiled it for you, so. Yeah, Taylor collapses on top of Charlton Heston. Right, after having been in about six minutes of the movie total. Which is the only reason they could get him to come back was that they would kill him. And he gets shot and says, it's doomsday, Dr. Zayas, and collapses on top of the launch pad. And with his last dying grasp, pushes down the little pedestal thing that releases the bomb. It's sort of a... uh... Alec Guinness in Bridge on the River Kwai situation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's Space Bridge on the Space River Space Kwai. Yeah. Beneath the planet of the Space Kwai. Right. Of the River Kwai. Right. That's going to be my autobiography. Beneath, Beneath the planet of the Space Kwai. <laughs> That's a pretty good title. Yeah, I think that would I think that would sell. Yeah. yeah. The Space Kwai are a peaceful people. They want only to harvest their poppies and chinchillas. Space chinchillas. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. The chinchilla business is good business on uh, on Space Kwai. <laughs> so that where tribbles come from, Josh? Don't be silly. That's made up. Hey, you want to take a break? Go make some more drinks? And we got to figure out what our movies are for next week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We are back. Kate and I have decided that rather than randomly selecting a year to pick a movie from, we're going to move in the order of the years of our lives, which da, means da, da. that's not the days of our lives. No, it music. just sounded like something. I don't know. Okay. So. so we'll be doing 1973, the year of my birth, the final week of March, and 1988, the year of Kate's birth. Our movies are the Disney Fred McMurray comedy, Charlie and the Angel, and... <laughs> The adaptation of the Neil Simon play Biloxi Blues, starring Matthew Broderick. I so think, I think I had to do a monologue from the play version in high school. It may very well be the case. Drama class. So we're going to try this for a couple of weeks and see what happens. I think it's just because we keep hitting the same 12. actors and stuff. And, you know. <laughs> I'm sick of seeing movies from 2000. I lived through it once. <laughs> so I have this uh, theory because you mentioned the planter's punch mm-hmm. made me think of Mr. Peanut. And I have this theory that hipsters are going to start. That's the next thing is the Mr. Peanut look with the monocle and the cane and the top hat. 
Because monocles are already back, I heard. Isn't that just like steampunk, though? I think top hat is steampunk. Steampunk is more like leather vests and riding boots, you know, and uh, goggles and shit. Okay. Do you think there's going to be like a 19th century revival of like nerds who are way too into Dracula or something? Like, I don't know. I think it'll just be that look because, you know, we've already – all the signs are there. we got handlebar mustaches are back, which is fucking disgusting. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. If you like it, you like it. Uh, you know, and apparently monocles are back. So I think just – Did the, they ever go away, Josh? That's true. And really, how would you find them? Well, you'd find them with your glasses, which are much better than using a monocle to see. But you look so much more dapper in a monocle. I think you look like the Kaiser. <laughs> So it really just requires the spats. Spats are, I don't even know if you could get spats. I mean, Tom Wolf can get spats, but I think the rest of us are pretty much SOL on spats. But that'll, they'll come back. They'll, uh, it'll be monocles and spats and top hats and, uh, and casual racism, which I think we will be able to take great advantage of. What's, what's wrong? Wait, what? Well, it would be casual anti-Semitism because, you know, you know, it's like turn of the century when everyone hated Jews. Oh, I thought you meant that Mr. Peanut was an anti-Semite. Well, yeah. I mean, that's well known. I was, gonna, I was trying to make a joke about a swastika, and I couldn't come up with it. I'm sorry. Don't hurt yourself. You know, you need some, you need some salt. Like some, on some peanuts. No, I, I really... Although, take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, what was that laugh? Take it with a grain of salt, because I've been predicting the return of whittling for 25 years. Every year I've said, this is going to be the year that the cool kids decide whittling is where it's at. How was whittling in fashion ever? Like as a thing? Yeah, in like the 50s. Like box socials? Like it's just going to come back? Or uh, like my question is in the 50s, were like kids down at the corner store listening to, you know, Elvis and drinking their malts mm-hmm. and whittling on the corner? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Smoking a corn cob pipe, <laughs> playing with their chinchillas. Yeah, well, they're space chinchillas. Right. Because it was all about beating the Russians. It is, in the chinchilla race. That was serious it business. It was and still is, because yes. here we are. Putin. Yeah. Putin, he who controls the, the chinchillas, controls the world. The, the chinchillas must flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my prediction. The, the Mr. Peanut look is coming back. we would be all over town here. Are the hipsters going to be in, like, one singular encased shell? No, but they will ride around in, like, a Model A. Oh. Not bicycles? No. I mean, we've already talked about how everyone here has a fucking bicycle. No. It'll be hipsters. It'll be like a Model A, but it'll be electric. It'll be electric. They'll, they'll do a, a hipster, like a vanity retro Model A electric for $60,000 uh, with a rumble seat. It'll have a rumble seat. Kids will love the rumble seat. And, uh, and you know, uh, it'll have a monocle holder and a chinchilla cage. Well, shouldn't you, shouldn't you be, if you're driving... First of all, see, that sounds more steampunk to me. The second you say, like, model whatever car, I think steampunk. Second of all... Yeah, steampunk is like Zeppelins. Everyone, all the steampunk kids fly around in Zeppelins. <laughs> second of all, should you really be driving without your monocle on? Like, why would you take your monocle off when you are behind the wheel? Well, I think if you wear a monocle, you probably don't have a problem with stereoscopic vision. I think that's probably just a read up close. Weren't, isn't that what they were for? For, like, reading? And or just, like, you know... Flashing in people's eyes. We're going to have to ask Mr. Pennybags the next time we see him. It's Uncle Pennybags. No, he's Mr. Really? He's not your rich Uncle Pennybags anymore? Pretty sure, yeah. Uh, he's know. not my uncle. He's your rich uncle. 
I'm not going to call him Uncle Pennybags when he's not my uncle. I'm just, it's respectful to say, hi, Mr. Pennybags, as opposed to, hey, Uncle Penny, you know, he's not my uncle. Might be your cultural heritage. It's not my cultural heritage. You're giving me that face. Okay, I'm going to be quiet now. No, I'm, I'm listening. You don't want an electric Model A? I think I actually would like an electric Model A. I've talked myself into an electric Model A. All right, we'll look into it. Yeah, better than your car, nanny car. My car is fat. Well, I think your car is a nanny car. What does that mean? It won't let you do things like normal things that you need to do in a car. You mean like drive places? No, like uh, the, like I can't uh, plug in my iPod if the car is not in park. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, I uh, I kind of agree. Um, so I have a, a car I purchased this what's well, a model it's a 2013 model and it has a lot of really cool safety features like the headlights are always on in case if i'm driving so i don't you know ever forget to turn them on at night or something if there's enough well that's weight, the law in some states i think oh if there's enough weight on the passenger seat like if i put you know my groceries there it constantly beeps at me because whoever is sitting there it thinks hasn't been buckled in it's just annoying stuff like that um Josh apparently has a problem with my iPod charger. Well, it just doesn't make any sense because you can't do things with the USB and Bluetooth at the same time. Yeah, it won't let you unlock the car or open the doors unless you're in park. Right, yeah. Like, what if I had to get out of a moving vehicle because I was being hijacked by, you know, mutant space chinchillas? Yeah. Not awry. It's, uh, and I had, you know. Yeah, and I had to get to President <laughs> Obama before Putin did. Right, because of the chinchilla crisis. Uh, but, because there's going to be a chinchilla blockade. Thanks, GM. You just ruined America. But, by the way, I think these are things probably that everyone else already knows, but because we are driving 20-year-old cars, or were before you bought this new one, <laughs> this is like crazy. This is like, you know what this is like? This is like George Bush Sr. and the supermarket scanner, because it had been, there was an event, there was like a campaign event, where he was shown a supermarket scanner, and he was just like, whoa, that's crazy, because it had been so long, apparently, since he had been in the supermarket, that he didn't, he hadn't seen one of those. That's like us. Like, everyone else is like, what the, what, why you guys don't, we don't, we're poor, we haven't, you know, we were driving 20-year-old cars until now. Yeah, um, I don't know, I, I like my car a lot, it's been a joy to drive a car that has, like, power, that actually has radio and air conditioning, and a lot of other safety features, but I can't help but feel every time I drive in my car that I am somehow contributing to the eventual death of humanity by machines. Like, I feel like it's available, like, it learns and it knows things. Like, it, the car might be smarter than I am. Well, there's bad news and good news. Uh, the bad news is that you're probably right, because I think that car is already tapped into Skynet. But the good news is that global warming will kill us much, much sooner. So, you know, and you're contributing to that, too. Well, no, because it's an eco car. It still burns gasoline. Yeah. Well, I do want to say the other day something happened. I think I was trying to get out of my car and it was locked and wouldn't let me out. And the reason it didn't let me out was because my keys were still in the ignition. Mm -hmm. And it started beeping. And I said, oh, thank you, Optimus, as I got out of the car. And I was like, this is how it starts. It is. This is how they learn. They come to you. All they want to do is help. (laughs) Everybody's your friend when you're a machine. Sure, I'll walk the chinchilla. No. I would like an electric Model A. In reality, what I'm going to do is get a bike. Why? 
Oh, right. You're terrified of bikes. I'm not terrified of bikes. I don't like riding bikes. There's a difference. Okay. So, like, if I bought the bike in the house, you wouldn't, like, cower in the corner. No, I would just be like, Josh, why the fuck do you need a bike? They're terrible. Because our town is really bike-friendly, and I don't want to zip around in a car. It's crappy finding a parking place. You sound very <laughs> sorry. I'm choked burped. up about that. <laughs> so much uh, to the feel place. of wind in your hair. Which you can get if you just roll down the window of a car. You're like a mighty leopard bounding across the veldt. You're going to become part of the problem. You know, back when we first talked about bikes, you were always complaining about how bicyclists are dumb and they don't... I'm not going to go out on the damn highway. I'm going to just tool around here in town, you know, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, because he rides a bicycle. Oh, the... The old-timey Sherlock Holmes. Benedict Cumberface? No, I don't watch it. The old-timey Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Or, you know, whatever. I'm not going to... I'm not going to... You know what you need to do? Here's what you need to do, okay? You need to watch Breaking Away. Because it's full of uh, cute young boys who ride bicycles. Okay. That'll cure you. Because they all have your body type. It's They're not... all like lean and sp- spindly and strong it's... and tall. I'm not tall. No, but they have your body type that you find attractive. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Um, okay. See, the thing is, it's not a question of the bicycle itself. It's the fact that I don't like riding bicycles okay. because, because if you get noise. on bicycles, you die. Like, there is no way to just stand still and not fall over, okay? And that... Fr- I, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Yeah, we've covered this. And it's not like if I saw a bicycle, I'd be like, oh, you killed my mom and run away and start bursting into tears. If I saw a bicycle and someone forced me to get on it, I would climb up and be like, nope, not gonna. I'd prefer not to. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Okay. Hey, you want to explain us to me? Sure. All right. Every week, Kate and I take a look at the cover of Us magazine, and Kate explains who the hell these people are on the cover of the magazine, because I usually have no idea. Well, I'm trying, but for the past couple weeks, we've had the same freaking cover story, which continues this week with Bachelor, but Josh, I'm going to go ahead. Wait, I have this one. Yeah, okay. So these are the Duck Dynasty wives, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And they got them all dolled up here so they don't look like stupid hillbillies. Is that the idea? Mm Mm-hmm. So, but like, aren't they already stupid rich? Like, it's all a big sham. Like, their well, stupid hillbilly act. Yeah, that's the thing that's irritating about Dog Dynasties. They're, they've always been hillbillies, but they were really rich before they were even on the show. So, it, it really. They're like fifth generation clampets. Yeah, it's just irritating to me that they've tapped into this right wing poor person market when they are, in fact, richer than most. Right. I don't know. And that and the, uh, you know, they hate the gays. Yeah, that. Which, All is, right. which is on here. Inc- infidelity, a sick child, the Phil controversy, and dealing with those beards. For the first time, all five Dynasty women open up. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. We get, we got more Bachelor up here on the top. Yep. Okay, so is, is this the current Bachelor or is this the previous Bachelor? This is the one that just finished. Okay. So this is not the Virgin. No, no, no. This who, fi- is... who finished much more quickly. hey oh no, this is the the season that just finished that was a total shit show. Juan Pablo. Oh, the guy who was just like, fuck it, I'm not playing by your rules. Well, the guy that was just like, yeah, didn't even try to pretend like he was in love with people or I it was like hurtful. That. He was just like, I mean, I'm he was apparently an asshole, dude. But... Yeah, so now the idea is that he made his choice and they're not engaged. They're dating now, which seems wise. I and never... she's head over heels involved with him and he's just kind of like, whatever. Eh. I can't, I can't handle dating people. <laughs> I, I never could handle dating people. What do you mean? Just like I don't like I I deal with rejection so poorly. 
Do you mean you can't deal with dating people like two people that are on a date if they're in the no, same restaurant? No, me, when I was dating, it's just I can't, the, the fear of rejection was just overwhelming. <laughs> Why is that funny? Because I feel like that's something that everybody would say if you ask them, like, what are your worst relationship fears? And someone would just say, like, you know, I can't, I have trust issues and I can't. Yeah, but, you know, like some people are afraid of airplanes and then there's me. You know, some people. See, you go hard is what you're saying. In yeah, all I, things. I, I bring my A game. <laughs> uh, okay, so here we got Jen- uh, Jennifer Aniston. God love her. I love that girl. America loves her. Mm-hmm. So. Pretty sure that's the only reason she still has a career. Who the hell is she eloping with? Uh, Justin Thoreau. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think it's Thoreau. But yeah, that's good. I like them as a match. He's funny. Yeah. I like her. He's much younger than she is, isn't he? Not that much younger. I mean, he's like in his early 30s, right? Oh, no, no, no. He's no? at least in his late 30s. I mean, okay. we can look it up, but... Uh, and then we got Teen Moms down here. What is this shit? Farah. So this is Teen Moms okay, 2. So also, please explain this show to me. I don't... It's just they follow a bunch of Teen Moms around. There's not like... There's not like challenges or, you know, like immunity idols or anything. No, it's just a reality TV show about teens who get pregnant. He's 42. Okay. He's um, well preserved then. And she's 45. Okay, so they're closer. All right, sorry, back to Teen I think it's just she's been a star for much longer. Yeah, well, he's one of those underground kind of, like, writes a lot of stuff, directs stuff. Yeah, he's half writer, right, and he does a little acting. And does some acting. So you've seen him in things. Like, he's been in a lot of – he was, like – he played two different people on Sex and the City, two different Hmm. boyfriends, which is always weird to me out that they got away with that. And he uh, he wrote Tropic Thunder. Exactly. So it's, like, stuff like that. But now – He's been lifted even further into the limelight by the fact that he is with Jennifer Aniston. I love The Good Girl. It was Mike White, because you know I love that. Yeah. That was a wonderful movie. I'm going to recommend that this week. No, I'm not. I'm going to recommend something else. Okay. But go see, well, the, go, go see The Good Girl. I've already recommended You're the Dog, haven't I? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. So Teen Mom was a reality TV show on MTV that started, and it follows um, four-ish teens figuring out that they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Having to come to grips with that, their families, their families' decisions, and what they do. And it documents them through the um, pregnancy and then in the birth. It was a spinoff of a show called 16 and Pregnant. Right. Which was single shot, maybe two people per episode. Mm. You find out you're pregnant, it tracks the teens through, and then they have the baby okay. and how their lives change. Mm. This is kind of like the after. It took the best episodes of 16 and Pregnant. And then so it's like a follow. reunion special, but as an entire series. Yeah, but it follows them. Okay. And so then they started doing seasons. It wasn't just, hey, let's see what Macy is up to. It'd be like, it's like the Real Housewives. Like they make a season out of nothing, and they yeah. make a plot okay. out of nothing. I'm bored. I'm so done. So this is Teen Mom two, and apparently they're going to do another season. But one of the the momming. One of the moms. They've already done a million Teen Mom and Teen Mom twos. One of the moms in Teen. This particular Teen Mom is named Farah. She was recently. She recently started a career in pornography. Do they discuss that on the show? Well, the thing is that no one else likes her because she is manipulative and wants to just be famous to be famous. She's like the one in Teen Mom that's from North Carolina who gets arrested like every two months. I don't know any of these people. Okay. Um, and so that's basically what's going on there is that uh, Lacey. Okay, so there's a porn mom. She became a porn star recently to try and prolong So she had career. already been on the Teen Mom. Yeah. Oh, I think I read about that. Right. And she said it was accidentally a sex tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, cute redhead over there who's the mom to two twin girls. She's not that cute. She looks like 
Ali and Aliyah or Akila or something like that. The names are horrible for her twins. She's the one who's like, I won't do a reunion special or I won't come back if Farah's there. So why? Because she's so much better well, cause presumably, than a girl who's in porn. Because presumably they would not have to film together. It's still separate. But I'm just like, it's like, because you're so much better. Like, pornography is that much worse than being on Teen Mom. That's not, I don't think that's the problem. That's just, I thought you might know her from, uh, or people might recognize her. Because I'm a connoisseur of uh, niche Teen Mom pornography. No, what I meant is there was a kind of a hullabaloo on like Jezebel, and I'm sure Exo Jane did something about it. Yeah, I gave up on this. Okay. I didn't give up on them. I just read them a lot less. Okay. Well, my point is she's done a lot of other stuff, and I don't think she actually has custody of her child anymore because mm-hmm. she's been living so recklessly. Um, okay. So she's like, I need something to make me seem better than somebody. Well, I mean, they're probably all horrible people. Okay. I'm done with them. Okay. that's And that's explained us to me okay. for those weeks. Hey, you had the kids today. I did. How was the kid? It was great. Um, we went to the library, and he ran around like a maniac and gave me a lot of hugs, and then we... Went to lunch, and then we played Mario Kart, and then his mom How came home. How do you keep him from, like, breaking things at, at the library? It's the kids' section, so. So there's nothing breakable? They have a lot of heavy-duty, like, wooden kiosk toys, like okay. cubes of toys and, like, things that they can wiggle around. The thing that I have trouble with is mostly keeping an eye on him because he likes to run in between the stacks, which is very inconvenient when you're trying to look for books. Yeah. Am I under a misapprehension about kids? Because I just have this image of children that age as just like running around and breaking everything they see just like you know like treating everything well, like like it's like it's like a video game like they're mario and everything that you jump on breaks and gives you gold coins hamilton is really fond of jumping on things so that's one of those things where you have to catch him in the act and be like nope stop you're gonna die like you're gonna fall off of that or you're gonna break whatever you're jumping on he does do that a lot of kids in the library section also just throw books on the ground or, like, drop them. They don't put them down in any particular way, and other kids will just walk on them. So it's kind of—I felt really bad for the library staff, especially— Wait, 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 wait. The what staff? The library staff. What did I say? You came real close to saying library. Library. Okay. Library? What did I say? Library. Library is right. I felt really bad for the library staff just because—can you imagine, like— they must just pick up shit all day long. Like, there's no... Yeah, I don't... I think, like, any anything that is a child version of something that adults use just ends up being, like, a playpen. It's not... You know, first of all, anything that's that young that has toddlers in it is going to have poop. <laughs> okay? As we've discussed before. And I don't, you know... Uh, yeah. Like was he? Did he poop in the library? Has he ever pooped in the library? He has, but it was in there his diaper, and See? he had to change in the bathroom. I, I, I ain't in a funk retarding. He stopped. Diaper. And have you been around children when they poop? Yeah, it's, it's revolting. No, it's surprisingly it doesn't get bad right away. Oh yeah, but it sits there and molders and gets <laughs> fecund. Yeah, that's that's the issue. In this particular instance, when we were at the library and he pooped, he stopped and made that face that toddlers make when they're using the bathroom. Mm-hmm. What, wait, the, like a potty dance face? No. it's If they still have their diapers on, they just, they're like running around all of a sudden and they're like, oh, I have to pee. And then they just stop and you can see them like. Like it's hammer time. Yeah. They make this. I, it, there's a certain, I, I don't know. I'm sure. I, I'm trying to, I, I can't describe it, but he did that. And I was like, Hamilton, what's wrong? And he's like, I pooped. And I was like, all right, let's go to the bathroom and change your diaper. Is this kid getting trained? Nope. Uh, nope, nope, nope. 
Well, you know, it's a hard job. Hard job. So did you see that uh, there's a protest about Paw Patrol? No. Yeah. P- protest of what? The ethnic stereotyping? No, there's no ethnic stereotyping. It's, it's very culturally, culturally diverse. Well, I know, but I heard some rumbles. People were upset about Zach Ork getting booted off the show and them explaining him dumping Susie Troll off screen. So they've been sending... You know that little pink bow that Susie, uh, Susie Troll wears in her hair that's like pink and it has the little white polka dots on it? Yeah, yeah. So they're sending that to the network. There's like hundreds and hundreds of those that people have sent saying, bring back Zach Ork. Because there was that episode where he tied it in her hair and then they had the first kiss. Yeah, I know. I just assumed that Zach Ork, they wrote his part out because the actor was becoming too troublesome. Too hard no, no, to ensure. No, no, no. no, he's fine. That's a myth. That's that. That's a myth. No, it's they wanted someone. It's because he was like, you know, they, they started the show like three, four years ago. Yeah. And he was in his early 20s right. already. So he's playing young. Right. And it's it's getting to be like an Ian Somerhalder situation where they can't pretend that he's a teenager for that much longer. <laughs> okay. I guess I could see that. But still, like, you don't see the vampire. Direct- They're not trying to write out Ian Somerhalder. I mean, they ought to be because that guy... It, you know. Looking a little long in the tooth. Well, that that hairline is receding like someone held a cross up to it. I've never did you come up with that yourself? I did. Okay. <laughs> See, I just I I love Paw Patrol and um Yeah. And I really hope that those kids work it out just you know. We all do, right? I mean like I'm not gonna say that I ship Zach Ork and Susie Troll, but I'm as close to shipping them as you can come without actually shipping them. I don't what is is this a fan fiction thing? You know when you ship some I don't I don't what is, okay. is this like is this on your is this an Atari? OTP? You've never heard that? Is this is this one of your Coleco games? <laughs> okay. Never mind. I just want those two crazy kids to work it out. Okay. Yeah, I kinda do too. Hey, you wanna do letters? Yeah. I'm All gonna right. So a little bit of housekeeping. We love to hear from you. Anyone who wants to interact with us. You can send us a letter at pntcast at gmail.com. We're on the web at pntcast.wordpress.com. We're on Twitter at at pntcast. We're on Facebook if you search for prefer not to. We're on Tumblr at pntcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. I think I got everything, didn't I? Yeah, iTunes and Stitcher. And right, and we're on iTunes and we're on Stitcher, and we would love some reviews there. If you can write a review and let us know, we'd be really grateful, and we'd send you some stickers. Uh, and some other stuff to help get the word out about our show. Some miscellaneous items from the Prefer Not To storage locker. Some lifestyle accoutrements. Exactly. All right. Uh, this is the part of the show where we do letters to the editor, unfortunately. <laughs> Again, I have no letters to read. So rather than sit here with dead air, I'm going to read a letter to a different uh, editor. In this case, it's a letter to the Jamestown Sun in Jamestown, North Dakota. I think this is a message that you're going to be able to get behind, Kate, this one. Okay. The headline is, Government was supporting its country, not drinking. And it's by Tim Gutschmidt. As I was flipping through the channels on Sunday, I caught something that really spoke to me. Two sportscasters were discussing the Canadian men's Olympic hockey team. One, a former NHL player from Canada, said in response to his team making it to the gold medal game that... The Canadian government, because of the time difference back home, made it legal for one day only for bars to open at 5.30 a.m. in certain provinces, as the game was scheduled for 6 a.m. Some may say the Canadian government is promoting alcohol use and other non-desirable behaviors, but I disagree. 
the government, along with its citizens, is simply saying, go Canada. And that's what's right with the world today. So I'm guessing that'd be 6.30, like, I mean, 6 o'clock local time for them. Cause right. It's in okay. Hey, you want to do our recommendations? Sure. All right. You want to go first? Yeah, mine's short and sweet. This week I'm going to be recommending a friend's blog and podcast that he does. His name is Jason, and his website is jasonedwards.com.com. We'll put a link in the show notes so for you. So it's double.com. So it's the word jasonedwards.com. That's not and actually then followed a word. By um, it's a sequence p- of letters. He posts a lot of um, TV reviews, specifically one that we like to do together. I know this is a little self-serving of me, but he also has a really funny podcast um, called The 40 Ounce, and sent out some podcast love to my buddy. And what is the what is the blog that you do together with him? Um, it's he does a lot of TV reviews. Ours that we collaborate on is one about the show Hannibal. All right. on NBC. Okay. Fridays at ten o'clock. So that's jasonedwards.com.com. Yep. My recommendation is going to be really short too, with season two of the American version of House of Cards out on Netflix. Going to recommend the UK original version of House of Cards. Oh, thank God! Starring uh, the late. Wonderful, Ian Richardson. It is a magnificent piece of work, and I've loved it since it came out originally. And not the hugest fan of the American version, because I think it's sort of tonally different. But I think if you watch the UK version, you'll get why people wanted to remake it. It's a tour de force performance by Ian Richardson, who you simply just can't pull your eyes off of. He's wonderful and nasty and clever all at the same time. You might think that about Francis, but I couldn't possibly comment. Indeed. All right, so Planter's Punch. Did you enjoy it? Uh, I feel like it would be more refreshing with some bubbles in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I want it to be like like, like a punch, you know? A little like, sweeter and some bubbles, yeah. I think, would be good. All right, so, as always, thank you for spending time with us this week. For Kate, I'm Josh. For Josh, I'm somebody. And we hope to see you again sometime. All right, thank you for listening. Good boobs. <laughs> <laughs>